Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show, across the state of Georgia, around the nation and the world on that series of tubes known as the Internet. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. In the third hour of the program today, I know we are going to uh, interview uh, one of the Atlanta heads of the Customs and Border Patrol that are still dealing with freight and customs and people trying to cross the border in the age of COVID-19. Now, I, I want to talk about the presidential press briefing this morning, but I think uh, having engaged with several different people on social media this morning, I want to, um, I want to, I, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about it first, and I'm happy to take any questions you might have. Uh, and again, 877-973-7425. I wanted to start with the press briefing this morning, but after encountering a few people on on my my personal Facebook um, profile and and then on social media, I I think I want to do this first and kind of lay out the parameters of my thinking for you, just so you understand where I am and where where a lot of the experts are. I am not an expert on this. I am not an epidemiologist. I I haven't even stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night, Uh, but I talked to a lot of them. I talked to um, Admiral Girard yesterday about the situation. Uh, he is a pediatric specialist and uh, expert in epidemiology. He's got a biology degree from Harvard. Uh, he went to medical school. Uh, he's been in charge of multiple global, uh, international, and domestic task force on epidemiology and pandemics. Uh, I have talked to people at the White House. I, I've spent a lot of time talking to experts. And my job, I, I, in addition to trying to keep you guys entertained, and you know, honestly, I feel like the, the show has been really informative lately, but there hasn't been a lot to laugh at lately. Uh, they, it's been very serious, and 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 I'm I, I try to find other stuff to work into the show, and uh, we can always laugh at Joe Biden if nothing else. But I, I'm I'm trying to keep everybody informed as well on what's going on out there, uh, and what people are saying, what the experts are saying, and I'm trying to take the the hard to understand in some cases uh, data and make it as easy to understand as possible without cheapening it so much that it's useless. Before I get into any of that, though, let me give you the daily audit trail of where we are in Georgia. We've got a 3.2% mortality rate in Georgia with this virus right now, which globally is about average. Uh, Most places, with the exception of Italy, most Western countries are seeing about 3%. Again, though, most of the experts, including Dr. Fauci, believe it's actually about 1% because they presume many more people have it or have had it uh, than uh, we know about due to a lack of testing, and they can revise it down to about 1%. Now, you're you're wondering, how can they, they do that statistically? Why can't they revise it down to a tenth of a percent like the flu. The reason that they can do that with some reliability is because they track globally uh, who gets the flu test and when the flu test comes back negative. And at this point, they're making an educated hypothesis that the people who are testing negative for the flu but have all the flu-like symptoms probably have this virus. And so they can take those samples and they can take the samples of positive testing of people who have tested and they can take the ratio of negative to positive tests of those who are who are um, who are getting the the virus. And they can make a a reasonable theory as to what the actual spread is uh, and what the mortality rate overall is. And so that that's why they can revise it down to one percent, point nine percent to one percent somewhere in there, which is about 10 times higher than the seasonal flu. 
And from there, they can run uh, very basic math that even I, a, a law school grad who went to law school to avoid math, can do. And we'll get into that. Uh, but let me give you the, the data here from Georgia right now. 1,247 cases, 394 people hospitalized, 40 deaths. County by county, 198 Fulton, 116 DeKalb, 109 uh, Darty. Uh, 101 Cobb, 78 Bartow, 48 Gwinnett, 31 Cherokee, 27 Carroll, 25 Lee, 22 Clayton, 19 Clark, 19 Hall, 17 Douglas, 14 Floyd, 12 Fayette, 12 Henry, 11 Lowndes, 10 Coweta, 10 Richmond, 9 Forsyth, 9 Rockdale, 8 Gordon, 8 Polk, 7 Chatham, 7 Newton, 6 in Bibbs, 6 in Columbia, 6 in Lawrence, 6 in Paulding, 6 in Spalding, 6 in Troop, 5 in each of these, Early, Glen, Houston, Oconee, Sumter, Tift, Mitchell, Pete, uh, Tift County, 4 in each of these, Mitchell, Peach, Pickens, and Whitfield. Three in each of these, Baker, Crisp, Effingham. And by the way, I was told last night uh, to not say Effingham. It is, it, it is, it is not making it sound like it's, it's a dirty word. It is Effingham. So there you go. Three in Effingham, uh, three in Lamar, Lumpkin, Monroe, Muskogee, Terrell, and Worth. Two in each of these, Baldwin, Barrow, Brian, Butts, Coffee, Green, Irwin, Jasper, Miller, Seminole, Twigs, and Washington. And then one in each of these, Appling, Ben Hill, Burke, Camden, Catoosa, Charlton, Chattooga, Clinch, Colquitt, Dawson, Decatur, Dodge, Fanning, Harris, Hurd, Jackson, Jones, Liberty, Lincoln, Macon, Madison, Merriweather, Morgan, Pierce, Pulaski, Randolph, Stevens, Tattnall, Taylor, Thomas, Turner, Walton, White, and Wilkes. And then there are 153 cases. We do not know uh, where they are from. All of this uh, is uh, is is bad news in terms of spread. Now we've crossed the Rubicon, so to speak. We've got two thirds of counties in the state have the virus. You, you know, I keep mentioning Tolliver County. Uh, one, just because I want to prove I know how to say the name, uh, but two. Because it is on I-20, and it is increasingly surrounded with counties that have it. Um, it so to the west is Greene County. Greene County is Lake Oconee, Greensboro, uh, WDDK, uh, one of our affiliates is over there. To its east is Washington, or Wilkes County, rather, with Washington, Georgia. And Tolliver County sits on I-20 headed towards Savannah. Uh, and then you have Warren next to it that has none and McDuffie next to it has none. And then you get into Columbia County and you got six cases. So it's beginning to spread in those areas. But if, for example, if you go up uh, US-1, uh, Appling County now has, um, it, well, it had a case, but that case has been removed to a different hospital. So let's take Bacon County. Bacon County is just north of Ware County. Ware County has one case. That's Waycross. Uh, you know where Blackshear is? Not Lake Blackshear, but Blackshear, Georgia, Pierce County. They got one case there. So let's go from Alma. Uh, I used to date a girl who lived in Alma or from Alma um, in, in Bacon County. Uh, go up through Appling County where they had a case and that person is now moved somewhere else. Go to Toombs County, continuing up US-1. There are no cases. Go up to Emanuel County, US-1. You've crossed I-16 now. Go up to Jefferson County. You've cro you're have you still on I-US-1. Uh, and then you head up to McDuffie County over I-20. And you got no cases in that whole corridor. 
you go up to Warren County and you go up to Tolliver County, you go up to Oglethorpe County, now you go up to Elbert County, and you don't have any cases in these areas. And you've got a patchwork of cases elsewhere. So uh, Stevens County up there, uh, Tacoa has one. Uh, in White County, you got one. Uh, in in uh, Lumpkin County, you've got three. But go over to Habersham County, where you've got Demarest and Cornelia and Clarksville, our, our affiliate WCHM is up there. And you've got no cases there. you got no cases up in Tiger and, and Georgia along around Lake Burton. I want a lake house on Lake Burton, by the way. I've decided that. One day, my aspirational goal, Chris Burns, is going to help me make my money, and I'm going to have a lake house on Lake Burton. Uh, but uh, I've never actually been to Lake Burton. I just I've seen the picture. So you've got none up there. Uh, Rabin along the the uh, state line with North Carolina, Towns County. You got none in Towns County up there. Still along the line, uh, you got none in Union County. There, that's uh, Blairsville. You go over to Fanning County and Blue Ridge and Morganton. You've got one case, but then you get over to Murray County. You got none. So the reason I do the geographic spread here is to make you understand the governor's reason and thinking on why we don't have a full state lockdown. In a lot of these places, you only have one case. Now, we do tend to know that if you have one case, you're going to get more than one case. Take Bibb County, for example, where I am. That's the middle of the state. Bibb County. Uh, we have four cases in Bibb County. Technically, I believe we now have six cases in Bibb County. And I believe one of those cases may be imported into county. There are a number of people from the Bibb County Board of Education uh, who have it. Um, but in, in uh, Forsyth in Monroe County, you got three. In Jones County, you got one. In, in that whole area, you, you've got a cluster of cases, but they're very small. And Bibb County has chosen to put itself on lockdown. Um, stores can be open as long as you can guarantee six feet apart from people. Gyms and salons, nail salons, hair salons, uh, restaurants got to be to go only. The salons and, and the gyms have to all be closed. The places where people com uh, commune have to be closed. But all of that is to say that there are regional areas of the state where you probably are okay leaving them open. And I suspect if I were to advise the governor, here's what I would tell the governor. Take Fulton County, where there is a hot spot. Uh, in Fulton, you got 204 cases. You got 125 in DeKalb to the east of Fulton. You've got 90 cases in Cobb to the west of Fulton. And then you got 82 in Bartow County. Uh, Gwinnett County has 69 now. Take Atlanta. And what I would do, if, if I were advising the governor right now, what I would say is put Fulton County, the whole county, on complete lockdown from Alpharetta all the way down to South Fulton. Put it on complete lockdown. Everything's got to shut down there. And then every county that touches Fulton County, put it on complete lockdown. So that would be uh, Cobb and Cherokee and Forsyth and Gwinnett and DeKalb and Clayton and Fayette, and Coweta, and Carroll, and Douglas County. Put all those on lockdown. And then every county that touches those counties, put those on lockdown. And so you've expanded the lockdown perimeter from where we think the virus initially came into the state. And why do we think that? Well, the world's busiest airport with direct flights to China, Italy, and Korea. So you've put Fulton, you've put all the counties that touch Fulton and all the counties that touch the counties that uh, touch Fulton on a complete lockdown. Uh, nobody leaves their house for two weeks. 
And then the other counties let regionalism decide. Maybe do the same thing down in uh, Darty County, where there are 123 cases. Put Darty and all the counties that touch Darty on lockdown, except you've got a place like uh, Calhoun, uh, Morgan, Georgia, Calhoun County, Georgia. There are no cases, and it touches uh, it touches Darty County. Now the issue there is it's a rather rural county, and so even if people do have it, uh, situation is they're probably not going to spread it because they're already in isolation. Now where does all of this get us, all of this data and and the mapping out and the spreading in Georgia and what's happening in Georgia. It it gets us to this point. There are a lot of people out there who are already frustrated. We've been at this a week. Georgia doesn't even have a full lockdown across the state. And there are people thinking we can't do this. We're wrecking the economy. People are going to, we're going to have more suicides than we are people dying from this virus. Maybe at some point, yes. But right now, the strategy is to have everyone sit on their couch at home and do nothing for two weeks. And if you can do it for two weeks, you can probably contain it enough to allow people in areas of the country where it's not hugely impacted to be able to get out of the house. Now, part of the problem here is this. The national media is so fixated on New York City because they live in New York City. They're convinced the rest of the country is going to be the same way. And you have so many editorialists and newspaper reporters who take their marching orders from the national media from CNN and the New York Times, even here in Georgia and major cities, you're starting to get a panic in the media more than you are a panic in the population. And the natural reaction to a panic in the media that becomes obvious to the population is that the population stops to believe what the media is saying. But there are some things that are true that people should believe. For example, the number of people who've called this program or leave comments on Facebook for me that this is just the common cold or uh, it's H1N1 all over again and we didn't shut the country down for H1N1. Here is the fact of the matter, as I mentioned with Admiral Girard yesterday. COVID-19 is not the flu. It is not the influenza. It is not H1N1. It is not the common cold. It is a unique virus. It is a unique virus. Uh, the, the issue here is that while it is a virus, COVID-19, the Wuhan virus is a virus and influenza is a virus. They are from separate families of viruses. So while they both cause pulmonary distress, they cause lung distress, uh, the flu, the pneumonia, uh, and this, uh, they're, they're pneumatic viruses, meaning they spread through water droplets and the vapor that you breathe out. You inhale them. They spread the same way, and they cause many of the same symptoms. They're not the same virus family. They are completely different virus families. So the people who are trying to compare this to H1N1 say, well, we didn't do this with H1N1. When we should do it here. What they're missing is that this is a completely different virus. The mortality rate is different. The spread is different. The rate of contraction is different. All of these things are different. That's why people want the country locked down now in a way they didn't with H1N1. It's, it's a completely different virus. The mortality rate is higher. And we are beginning to see uh, healthcare systems in this country that are world-class healthcare facilities in New York and even here in Georgia now, down in Albany, healthcare facilities are being maxed out. Uh, they're at capacity. Uh, they're out of supplies. We didn't see that with H1N1. We didn't see that with flu. This is very, very different. And I'm in this very weird position now where I'm trying to tell people, listen, we can't keep the economy shut down as long as some people are saying we can't keep the economy shut down for more than a month. And there are some people, Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, saying it should be uh, three months, maybe three, four months of shutdown. We can't shut the country down that long. We can't do it. 
But I'm also in in the position of saying, well, we shouldn't just let people go live their lives uh, because this is worse than the seasonal flu and no one has built up immunity to it. And we should spend a little bit of time on that. And again, I'm happy to take your questions. 877-973-7425, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, is... 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I want to go to Andrew calling from Kennesaw. Andrew, welcome to the program. Hi, Eric. Um, I have an observation, a clarification, and a question for you. Um, The first observation, do you notice that during the Iraq war that you would always put the death count up on the screen? And then when Obama became president, even though more people died in the war under Obama than Bush, that all went away. Now, all of a sudden, we have the death count back for Trump. That's just my observation. Uh, My clarification is I noticed on uh, different networks, uh, is it adjusted uh, gross income after deductions or is it? based on your gross pay in order to get the, um, the, the uh, stimulus. And three, I'm quite curious as a question for you, if you were president of the United States, how would you have handled um, the, uh, the crisis? And I'm not trying to in no way be insensitive or anything, but is there a point where we just need to go back and basically take whatever happens? Because Dr. Fallacy uh, yesterday said, well, in the winter time, when the temperatures go down, we could be right back where we are. Are we going to be shutting the world down every winter, I guess, um, for this particular uh, virus? Because people are going to revolt after a while if we're not getting yeah. back to Yeah, look, I, I'm with you on that, Andrew. And I think that is a real concern that the government's going to have to have some answers on. Because uh, we can't shut down the country every year. What we need to do is work very hard to uh to find and and make a vaccine it takes about 14 months to make a vaccine from what the various experts and epidemiologists have said and the reason is because you begin trials but then you've got to wait a while to make sure you're not causing other fallout in someone's body from injecting them with the vaccine uh so we're gonna have to do something we're gonna have to find some sort of medicine that works i'm hoping the the hydroxychloroquine and z-pack combo will be what does it uh there continues to be some hope i I do think it's notable that a chinese study came out that was amplified by much of the media yesterday saying actually we studied this in china and uh it didn't have any effect um it was 30 people and at the bottom of the story if you read that far you got to um it was a statistically insignificant sample and yet the media wanted to push the story out it's it's crazy um and on the other parts of the question Yes, it is true that when Barack Obama became president, uh, they largely stopped doing the body count. Uh, and yes, there's there is media bias. And yes, there's media bias here, too. Uh, but just because the media is using a crisis to get the president doesn't mean it's not a crisis. Just because there's a problem uh, doesn't just because the media is doing something doesn't mean it's not a problem. Uh, and there very is clearly a problem. And I want to spend a little bit of time walking everybody through that uh, based on what the epidemiologists are saying, but based on what Dr. Fauci is saying. Now, right now, we're in a situation where the president is is prioritizing listening to the healthcare experts over the economic experts. And I don't think that'll last long, and I don't think it should. 
do I think the the entire it would be advisable for the entire country to be locked down for the next two weeks? If I were president, I would probably encourage the governors to do it. I would not never as president say that it must be done because we have a federal system and that is it, it, that is more power than the president of the United States is supposed to have under our constitution. But I would certainly say you probably should for two weeks, for two weeks. And then we got to start opening up the country in areas where the virus isn't impacted, uh, at least bend the curve and do it. Uh, what would I have done differently than the president? I probably the only thing would have been to force the FDA to sooner open testing to private labs. You know, if Andrew in Kennesaw is still listening, uh, one other point he asked me, what would I have done differently than this administration? I, I think I, I would have one of the first things I would have wanted to do just because I, I'm I'm always skeptical of the bureaucracy stifling private innovation is would have done what I could to, to crack the whip on the FDA allowing private testing. But, 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 but. Let's not forget the president was being impeached at the time that this was beginning to spread, that the media wants to treat this as if it's in a vacuum, that they want to ignore the fact the president was distracted by impeachment as this thing was spreading. And when he did attempt to act, I mean, he was the very first world leader to ban travel with China, uh, and they called him a racist at the time for doing it. So I don't fault the president for as much as the media does, and it's very interesting how they can't move beyond that. They're, they're fixated by the, the pre-viral news coverage of the president. They can't acknowledge uh, that he's actually doing a decent job. And you've got even Andrew Cuomo praising, not exactly a fan of the president, praising the president there. Uh, so keep that in mind. But uh, let me let me delve a little bit into the virus and, and, and uh, explain, kind of debunk, if you will. And I don't mean to be debunking, but I, I am more and more mindful of a number of people who have a lot of uh, things they believe about this virus that aren't true. For example, the number of people who have used the H1N1 comparison, uh, when that's not actually an apt comparison, because H1N1 is a type of flu, everybody who is alive today on planet Earth Regardless of which country you live in, although in, in uh, northern latitude countries more than, than uh, tropical countries, but everyone has some level of immunity to influenza. H1N1, uh, that everyone's comparing COVID-19 to, uh, is a form of influenza, so everyone has a level of immunity to it. Now, it was much more contagious than the seasonal flu, because while people have a level of natural immunity to influenza, the virus, uh, we hadn't really experienced this one before globally, so it spread easier. It wasn't in the flu vaccine. But between the flu vaccine and people's built-in natural immunity, most people could fight it off. And the mortality rate of uh, H1N1 was three-tenths of a percent of the people who got it died compared to the seasonal flu, which is one-tenth of a percent of people who get it died. Uh, and it spread globally and, and infected, I think, uh, 68 million people in this country. Normally, the flu in this country infects 44 million people. And then again, uh, 44 million people get it and 44,000 people die. Uh, the math isn't that hard. If a tenth of a percent of the people get it, uh, it, it becomes pretty easy to extrapolate down um, how many people are going to die. COVID-19 is not the flu. It has flu-like symptoms in that they are, um, they are, I forget now what the word is, but they are, you know, pneuma is, is the, if you read the, if you read the Bible, read the New Testament, uh, when it talks about the Holy Spirit, uh, it, it's talking about the, the pneuma, the pneuma is the breath, uh, pneumonia is, is, uh, 
a virus that is spread through the water vapor through the breath uh into your lungs the pneumatic systems um things like that uh pneuma all comes from that um the air uh spreading through the air and this disease spreads through the air in addition to the virus leaving on surfaces so it spreads like the flu it spreads like the common cold it spreads like pneumonia bacterial pneumonia but it is not in the same viral class as H1N1. It's not in the same viral class as the flu. It is not an influenza. It is a completely different virus. So the people who are comparing it to H1N1 kind of miss the point on that, that it's not a flu. It has flu-like symptoms, and that's why people are so confused on this, I think. It has flu-like symptoms, but it is not actually the flu. It is a completely different virus, and it is more deadly and spreads more contagious. So, for example, H1N1 spreads uh, about the same rate as the flu spreads because it is a type of influenza. So one infected person infects 1.3 other people on average. Uh, With COVID-19, one person, we were saying it was 2.3 people, which is double, uh, slightly less than double the flu. Uh, But we now know it's actually three people, which is slightly more than the flu infects. Um, So one person infects three people. And in infecting three people, it uh, spreads more quickly. It is much more of a viral. It is much more of a viral spread. And it also uh, kills more people. That is why we can't treat it like the seasonal flu. And that's what a lot of people are missing here. Listen, I'm in the camp that we can't shut the whole economy down. There's just no way that we can shut the whole economy down for months on end. Uh, And we can't do it next year. Uh, We can't get to this thing, have it start spreading again in November and say, "Uh uh-oh, we got to shut everything down again. And no one's actually suggesting that. Let's be clear here. No one actually is suggesting. Now, I I shouldn't say no one. There are some people who have speculated on it, but but I'll tell you what the main experts, including Dr. Fauci, are saying. uh, For Right now, though, what they need to do is they need everybody to stay home because they need to contain the spread right now. Because if you can contain the spread right now, hospital systems are already overwhelmed. And because hospital systems are already overwhelmed, they need fewer people to get the infection. And the best way to stop people from getting infected is to stop them from encountering people who are infected. Um, It's kind of a no-brainer right there. You you stay in your house where no one has the virus. Guess what? You're not going to get the virus. You start going out and about where people have the virus. Guess what? The odds are going going up considerably that you're going to get the virus. You go places where people are known to have the virus, and guess what? You're probably going to get the virus. That's why I say lock down Fulton and the surrounding counties in Atlanta, the counties that touch them, and leave the rest of the state alone unless there's a big viral outbreak, and and do it in concentric circles uh, for here in Georgia or anywhere else. Um, At the same time, if we can keep people on their couch for two weeks and slow the spread of the virus, uh, around Easter, if we all do this right, I think the president's right. There will be parts of the country, not the whole country, but there will be parts of the country that can come out of their houses again and start socially interacting again. Now, here's what the the experts want. If you talk to Dr. Fauci, you talk to Dr. Burks, you talk to Dr. Toomey here in Georgia, the, the, the Dr. Fauci of Georgia, so to speak. Here's what they would like to do. Everybody stay home for the next couple of weeks in in areas where the virus has reared its head. Slow the spread, slow the curb, slow the growth, let the hospitals play catch up, take care of everybody. And then in areas of the country where we've, we've crossed the threshold to go back to normalcy, start letting people back out. And then what you do is you start 
doing aggressive testing. By then, testing should be ramped up enough that everyone should be able to get a test. And so what they want to do is the South Korea model, so to speak. What the South Korea model is, is you do expansive testing of everyone. If you test positive for the virus, you and your family stay home and you do contact tracing on the people you've recently come into contact with and those people stay home and everybody else goes about your business. And so we contain it in the isolated pockets of the viral spread. And in so doing, we can let the whole world go back to business and just stop it where it's spreading. So you may have a situation. I'm in in Macon, Georgia right now uh, in in Bibb County. So we may have a situation. Let's say the virus runs rampant in, in Bibb County. You test everybody in Bibb County. We'll have enough testing in the next couple of weeks to be able to do something like that. And we'll have have rapid response testing. So you test the whole county. Everyone who tests positive has to stay home and their families have to stay home and the people they've been around have to stay home. And everybody else goes about their business in Bibb County. Everybody else in the surrounding counties goes about their business. But the moment it flares up, let's go up the interstate from Macon. You go up Macon on 75 in Georgia. The the next place you encounter is the city of Forsyth, Georgia. So suddenly there's a pocket in Forsyth. Someone from Macon stopped off at the Hardee's there in Forsyth. People at the Hardee's. uh, Someone went to the Hardee's and, and someone there got it. So you go into Forsyth and you test everybody in Forsyth and all the people who test positive, they stay home. Everybody else goes about their business. But the people who test positive and their families, the people they've come in contact with, they stay home. Now, I'm not saying everybody's getting it from the Hardys. Don't misunderstand me. They've got great biscuits there. Go go there if you can. But I think they're locked down. I don't know. Anyway, um, but you, you see what I'm saying. You, you travel, you you find where the virus is firing up. You, you find where the people went. Oh, I, I went to this gas station or I went to this grocery store. Or I went to this restaurant. Well, then you find all the people who were there, as many as you can, get the credit card receipts, whatever you you figure out who was there. You go test all those people. All of those people test negative. Go about your business. No big deal. The people who are positive, you lock them down. You keep them in place. You monitor them for two weeks. You pass a law that says they cannot lose their job. They have to continue to get their paycheck. Why do you want them to do that? Because you don't want them to go to work and spread the virus. So you tell the employers as an incentive to keep these people out of public population, you're going to keep paying them whether you like it or not. It's the cost of doing business in COVID-19 America. And those people stay home, they either get better or they die. If they die, well, we all go to the funeral, we say prayers. If they get better, they go back to work. And you do that, but to get to that point, what you first have to do is reset. And the only way that you can reset the virus is to keep everybody home for a couple of weeks so that the hospitals can clear out the patients who are already there. I I, I realize uh, if you're in Georgia, by and large, if you're not down in the Albany area, and and I know some of you are listening down in in the uh, Darty County area in Albany, if you're down there, what they're encountering is an overwhelmed hospital system right now. Let let me go back to the the count here to give you an idea of what uh, Phoebe Putney Memorial Hospital it's, it is the big hospital in Doherty County, but it's nothing like what you would have in Atlanta. They have 109 confirmed cases in Doherty County, and Lee County next door uh, is the suburbs of Albany. And Lee County is beginning to be overwhelmed as well. They've got 25 cases already. Now, if you want perspective on how quickly this virus spreads, consider this. In Carrollton, where my in-laws live, in Carrollton on Monday, there were seven cases. Today, there are 27 cases, more than in Lee County, which is next to that huge outbreak in Darty County. So the virus spreads very fast in populations. So what you do is you keep everybody home for two weeks. Say, eat the noodles and beans you've got in your in your, um, in your pantry for two weeks. Do that for the good of everybody. And then once that's done, 
you let people out and then you begin the aggressive testing. You make people wear masks in public if they need to wear masks for a while. You know, if you go back to 1918 and the Spanish flu outbreak, it, most country, most cities in the United States had mask ordinances where everyone was required to wear a mask in public during the outbreak. Go to San Francisco, for example, and they actually started an anti-mask league, an anti-mask league of San Francisco. That was the actual name. An- the anti-mask league of San Francisco was the name of the organization designed to, to end the law on requiring masks. Uh, People started essentially going about their business without masks on that the San Francisco police would arrest them. And it got to be so many people, the jails were overwhelmed with people refusing to wear the masks. And so they repealed the ordinance. And then the Spanish flu broke out again in San Francisco and they had to put the ordinance back on the books for four months. And then it eventually subsided and people were able to go without masks. But for a time in San Francisco, every human being had to wear a mask, whether they were in school, whether they were in the grocery store, whether in the doctor's office, whether they were walking down the street or on a streetcar, everyone had to be in a mask. If you weren't in a mask, you couldn't even ride a streetcar in San Francisco. In fact, if you were walking down the street without a mask in San Francisco, they'd throw you in jail. That's how big it was in, in 1917, 1918. Um, now, there's a big difference now in, in that this is outside our culture to do that, but maybe we're going to have to go back to it for a little while to do it. Ultimately, what will happen over time is just like with influenza, we will build up natural immunity to COVID-19. Right now, though, no one has that natural immunity, and that's part of the problem here. Until you've gotten the virus, you don't have natural immunity to it. And if everyone gets the virus, 1% of people are going to die. If we just treated this like the seasonal flu and just let it spread rampant like we do the flu, one percent of people will die and we know three times as many people will get it that leads that this is where epidemiologists get the eight hundred thousand to a million person number is if we were to treat it like no one's saying that's going to happen by the no one says it's going to happen what they're saying is that if we behave just like the seasonal flu that is what would happen but none of us are behaving that way which is why we're not going to get to that number thank god let's go back to the phones tom thanks for being patient with me yes sir eric great show thanks for all your level-headedness and trying to put it in words that even I could understand. Thank you. Um, um, As an ancillary point, we all on the right feel like our kids are being indoctrinated. And here is a wonderful opportunity to take advantage of a crisis in the way that the left always tries to do. And that is by us parents monitoring what our children having to, uh, you know, their lessons and the things that they're being done in the uh, homeschooling that we're all involved in now to look at, especially in certain topics, but even in math, when they give these left wing, you know, how many acres of the rainforest will be, you know, blah, 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 at this rate. (laughs) So I think that would be a really good way for the people, the conservatives of this country to look at what's happening with their with the uh, indoctrination that we all are afraid of. Uh, and maybe maybe we're overreacting, but this is a good time to monitor that in a, in a mighty way, I think. Yeah, look, Tom, that's a great point. Now, my kids are, we're just letting the Xbox and YouTube teach them. <laughs> kidding, 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 kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, but, you know, you're right. In fact, the number of parents who I have seen online who are for the first time really encountering common core math is kind of funny. Um, and, and for those who, who don't understand it, and, and Tom, thanks for the phone call there. Uh, the phone number here, 877-973-7425. For those of you who don't realize, so common core math programs 
teach math differently. And some teachers like it. And essentially, they teach you multiple ways to add, multiple ways to subtract, multiple ways to divide, multiple ways to, to multiply. And when you they settle on what you and I learned, like cross multiplication, for example, is a way, um, they they call it granny math and they, they insult it because they don't want your kids to do basic cross multiplication or stuff. Well, the problem is that most parents can't help their kids with, with common core math processes because they never learned them. And so a lot of parents have had to give up on helping their kids do math and let the teachers do it. Well, now the parents are having to do it at home. And I suspect we're going to see some real change. I know here in Georgia, on my evening show in Atlanta, I hear from a ton of parents who are now realizing what their kids are having to do at school that they've largely withdrawn from because they haven't been able to help their kids and now they're forced to and they're infuriated by it. And it's a huge wake-up call to parents about what's going on in the school systems right now. Beyond Common Core, the indoctrination stuff. But let's be honest as well. There are a lot of parents who won't care and they won't do it. Uh, but for those who do, so much the better. Uh, being that Having to be that engaged now in your kid's education isn't a bad thing. The question is, how long is it going to last? Because even the parents are going to have to get back to work at some point. The phone number here is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. When we come back, I want to delve into what's actually in the stimulus package. Uh, right now, though, I want to tell you, those of you who are crafty people, not, not like clever trickster crafty people, but actually into crafts like my wife, Joanne, uh, it's stores, you know, the, the, the craft stores, they are handing out free fabric supplies curbside to anyone making masks for doctors and nurses. Uh, this is from uh, the Good News Network. Uh, in a national emergency, some people's initial thoughts are to fight over toilet paper. Others uh, immediately want to leap to the aid of those on the front lines of the crisis. Uh, Trina Brunella began constructing and sewing cloth masks for a project in Indiana to help teenage cancer patients undergoing chemotherapy, then wanted to donate more masks to workers at four local chemo centers in New Jersey, spurred on by a friend. Uh, the masks are, are now in circulation with templates because they're in demand for doctors and nurses to put over their disposable masks. Uh, the doctors are supposed to keep replacing their disposable masks, but they're in short supply, so they're being told to keep their masks on the whole day except at lunchtime to take them off and then they can replace them. So there's a movement. My wife, by the way, is, is part of the movement. Uh, and she has been upstairs sewing nonstop masks for her friends. I think she, she's done well over 100 of them. In fact, she ran out of elastic. And we are awaiting a massive shipment of elastic to our house today, as a matter of fact, uh, for her to resume making masks for doctors and nurses. And essentially, they're cloth masks that can be washed and reused every day. And you can give doctors and nurses a pile of them, and so they leave on their disposable mask, and they put on their uh, they put the cloth mask over it, and then between patients they can uh, take off the cloth mask, put on a new cloth mask, take them home at night, wash them, and reuse them the next day. And that is happening more and more. Uh, and But they're starting to run out of supplies of elastic. In fact, my wife was able to source. Well, first of all, I went to Joanne the other day for her. My wife is now under the governor's quarantine. She can't leave the house. So I went to Joanne's for her to find some elastic. And uh, one of the local hospitals, they wouldn't tell me which one, but one of the local hospitals in middle Georgia came in and bought up every box of eighth inch and quarter inch elastic. Uh, in the store. Now, the reason for the elastic is you, you put on the elastic straps so that 
the doctors and nurses can fix the masks over their ears. And the the templates typically call for an eighth of an inch. My wife's been using quarter inch. And some hospital came in and bought up all the boxes at the local Joann's. Uh, so Joann's gave my wife a pile of half-inch elastic and told her she could cut it in half and that they had already tried it and it wasn't shredding, that it would work fine. So she's been doing that to continue making masks. And now she's got a big box of elastic coming to keep making the masks. The, there are templates all over the internet. I, I don't have any immediately available for those of you who are interested. Uh, but this has become a big nationwide project. Now, I will tell you, uh, I yesterday I did interview Admiral uh, Brett Giroir, who is in charge of COVID testing for the nation. He is the Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services. He is a... a pediatric specialist and an epidemiologist, a very bright guy. And he said that, among other things, Haynes Corporation, the underwear t-shirt company, they are beginning to make cloth cotton masks that are reusable and highly effective at trapping uh, the virus and other particles. So they are going to roll those out. And he said, they're going to start generating upwards of a million a week. I think he said, or, or, or maybe a million a day. I can't remember now, but a lot of them, and they'll be rolling those out. 3M has more. And then you've got Apple and Facebook and others that have them. By the way, there's a conspiracy theory brewing. Why did Apple and Facebook have all of these uh, N95 masks? Uh, the answer is very simple. The uh, OSHA in the state of California, the California Occupational Safety Standards Commission, during the California wildfires last year, demanded that these tech companies stockpile N95 masks for their workers uh, so that they wouldn't be inhaling smoke particles. They would be allowed to wear the mask. So these companies helped because of regulations from the state accidentally cause part of the mask shortage. Running a business is enough of a challenge. Securing extra cash flow doesn't have to be. Through Bluevine, getting a line of credit is fast, easy, and simple. Bluevine is an easy, fast way to help support your business growth with a line of credit of up to $250,000. Whether you need money to offset upfront costs, secure inventory, or pay for unexpected expenses, through Bluevine, you can help yourself and your business stay secure for any reason. There's no fee to set up your line of credit, and Bluevine never charges maintenance or prepayment fees. Applying is easy. You go online to getbluevine.com slash Eric. Fill out a few simple details, and you're done with your application within minutes. See an offer will not affect your credit score. Once approved, funds can be received in as fast as 24 hours, and you've got peace of mind knowing the funds can be drawn with a click of a button for any business expense. Bluevine has helped more than 20,000 customers and has delivered over $2.5 billion in funds to businesses. Bluevine also has advisors available by phone to answer any questions and help meet your business needs, and they've got an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. For listeners of this here podcast, Bluevine is offering a special limited-time promotion of a $100 gift card when you take out a loan or open a line of credit with Bluevine. Go to getbluevine.com slash Eric for more details. All you have to do is go to getbluevine.com slash Eric and apply. It's quick, it's easy, it's meaningful help for your business in as little as 24 hours. The promotional offer is subject to terms and conditions, and they can be found at getbluevine.com slash Eric. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the state of Georgia. Hi there, everyone. At the top of the next hour, uh, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger is going to be joining me to talk about the, the voting situation in the state as this virus continues to spread. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I want to take you through, if I can now, um, as I've been trying to do every day, 
the audit, county by county audit of how the virus is spreading in the state. Right now, there are 1,387 cases, 438 hospitalizations, and 47 deaths in the state. The mortality rate then is 3.4%, which is hovering around the global average right now of of known cases. And again, uh, Dr. Fauci uh, from the National Institutes of Health and others believe that the actual mortality rate is probably 1% not 3% because they do believe that more people are getting it than not. And I know there are people, I've actually encountered an angry guy this morning uh, on Facebook of all things say, well, how do they know? How, how do they know it's not uh, the same flu, like, like the flu? How do they know it's not a tenth of a percent? Why are they saying 1%? Well, they're the experts, but now this guy doesn't trust the experts because he doesn't trust anybody uh, except internet memes from his friends. And I get that. And I know there are a lot of people out there who you've got Dr. Fauci saying, hey, it's actually not as bad as the global average, but it's worse than the flu. So how are they getting that? Well, one of the ways, they're getting it from several ways. One of the ways is they're taking all the people who have flu-like symptoms but don't have the flu. They've tested negative for the flu, but they have all the flu-like symptoms, and they're tracking those people as well and how those people are dying. And that's one of the reasons that they believe it's 1%. The the presumption right now is that if you are testing negative for the flu and you have the flu-like symptoms, you probably have this. Uh, And so that they're putting that in and and other sampling in there to to get a better picture. And it's still about uh, 1% mortality of people who get it, which is 10 times higher than the seasonal flu, which is why they want everybody to be locked down for a few weeks to slow the spread. Now, uh, wh- where are we here? We've got uh, 60 per, 61% of the cases in Georgia are 59 years old or younger, and 36% are 60 years old and older. 50% of the people who have it are female, 50, uh, 48% male, 2% we're not sure. We don't know about the other 57 genders. I haven't gotten that data yet. Now, here, here are the numbers right now. This is actually gone up. Uh, Looks like they have since the last time uh, I pulled it up. Maybe they've revised it. I'm not sure. 204 cases in Fulton, 125 in DeKalb, 123 in Darty, 109 in Cobb, 82 Bartow, 69 Gwinnett, 50 in Carroll, 36 in Cherokee, 29 in Clayton, 25 in Lee, 21 in Clark, 20 in Henry, 19 in Hall, 18 in Douglas, 14 in Floyd, 12 in Fayette, 12 in Lowndes, 10 in Columbia, Coweta, and Forsyth, Richmond, Rockdale, and Spalding counties, 9 in Gordon and Polk counties, 8 in Newton county, 7 in Chatham, Lawrence, and Troop county, 6 in Bibb, Early, Houston, Oconee, Paulding counties, 5 in Glen, Peach, Sumter, and Tift counties, 4 in Mitchell, Muskogee, Pickens, Terrell, and Whitfield counties, Three in Baker, Bryan, Butts, Crisp, Effingham, Lamar, Lumpkin, Monroe, and Worth counties. Two in Baldwin, Barrow, Coffee, Colquitt, Irwin, Jasper, Madison, Miller, Seminole, Twiggs, and Washington counties. And one in each of these. Ben Hill, Burke, Camden, Catoosa, Charlton, Chattooga, Clinch, Dawson, Decatur, Dodge, Fanning, Green, Harris, Hurd, Jackson, Jones, Liberty, Lincoln, Long, Macon, Merriweather, Morgan, Pierce, Pulaski, Randolph, Stevens, Tattnall, Taylor, Thomas, Turner, Ware, White, and Wilkins County, and 160 in counties of unknown origin. That is your current audit in the state of Georgia. Now, there is some data that has been released in the state. Where is this um, email I got? Yeah, here we go. Uh, This is in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and the headline is what Georgia's mayors and county leaders were told about the pandemic. You need to know it, too. 
On Tuesday, we told you that the Georgia Municipal Association had recommended that all 538 cities in the state declare public health emergencies in an effort to ramp down the coronavirus pandemic. GEMA did so because a Monday afternoon online presentation by Dr. Carlos Del Rio, the executive associate dean for Emory at Grady Health System, aimed at mayors, city managers, county commission chairs, and county managers. They've got the audio uh, uh, that you can hear of the presentation, but the, uh, oh, 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 whoa, look at this. They're actually calling it the Wuhan pneumonia in this presentation. My goodness gracious. Um, So it is... I'm I'm reading from the slide here now. Uh, they're showing the progression. They're showing the cases, and now they're showing the the estimates. Um, now the the headline here that you need to know is if no aggressive intervention is done, if no aggressive intervention is done, what they suggest is that if they use the mid range estimates in Georgia, the mid range estimates in Georgia will be a thousand sixty two deaths. And the high range would be 27,605 deaths, the majority of those 65 and up. But here's the problem. This is the problem. If you do a mid-range estimate of people getting it, you've got 10,617 people hospitalized. If no intervention is done at all, you have 276,053 people in the hospital. That's the problem is because we're going to overwhelm hospitals. If there are, this is the predicted outcome after three months. If there's no action at all, 211,000 deaths. If you do social distancing, 158,000 deaths. If you shelter in place, 6,000 deaths. And if you do a complete Wuhan-style lockdown, no one's out, allowed out of their house at all, it is less than 1,000 people. The problem here, of course, is that we're not going to do this. Now, you should also know that uh, this doctor has been one of the most vocal opponents of what the governor is doing. The governor is listening to the health experts, including Dr. Toomey at the Georgia Department of Public Health. And this doctor is not there, Dr. Carlos Del Rio. Uh, he is the uh, dean at Emory, and he is is uh, hyper-aggressively critical of the governor's handling of this audio. And he is who the media is going to, to beat up the governor in all cases. And he essentially wants the whole state uh, in, in an absolute lockdown. And I don't think we're going to see that in the state. Now, I do think that in areas like uh, Atlanta and Albany and even Bartow County, we probably do need a complete lockdown. The governor's leaving it to local officials. And I got to tell you, given the numbers in Bartow County, the number of deaths in Bartow County from this, uh, you would think that the county commission there would shut the place down, but they haven't. In Bartow, there are 82 cases right now, and a good number of those people have died in Bartow County. But then in Fulton County, Fulton, DeKalb, and Cobb County, you've got over 400 cases, and they haven't locked down those counties. 
the city of Atlanta's lockdown, but Fulton's not, you would think that the county commissions would engage at that level, and they haven't. Um, and they keep passing the buck to the governor. Why, 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 why must the governor shut the entire state down as opposed to letting these counties do the right thing? I, I it, it boggles my mind that these counties are like, well, we can't do anything. We got to let the governor. No, the governor's telling them if you want to shut down, shut down. And yet they're trying to pass the buck. Is it that they're Democratic county commissions and they're hoping to blame the governor? Is 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 that part of it? Because there are a lot of Democrats out there. That, you know, the governor is going to do a town hall tonight statewide, and the Democrats are trying to turn it into a partisan event to attack the governor over his handling of this, which is crazy. Now, let's go to the phones. 877-97-ERIC. 877-973-7425. John, calling from Rome. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you, sir? Good. What's going on? Oh, I love it. was listening to your show and love what you're doing and had just two quick points I wanted to share with you. Um, one, uh, I think we should change the calling of social distancing to calling it physical distancing. I know that sounds like I'm trying to be politically correct, but we really don't need to be socially distancing people for what's been going on. Mm-hmm. If we do the physical distancing of staying six feet away, that's what we're actually trying to accomplish. Right. Yeah. So I think it's important. I, I, I actually agree with you on that. Uh, I, I, social distancing just sounds like a kind of a dumb term anyway. Uh, it sounds like it was come up by a committee. Basically, just stay the hell away from other people, people. No, I agree. But one of the things I'm actually trying to do, I'm a, a dentist here in Rome, and, and I'm trying to make a point just to reach out to, you know, family and friends. And not reach out and, quote, touch them, but reach out to see if there's anything that I can answer for them or anything that we can do. Hey, hey, John, let let me let me ask you a question then, Uh, since you're a dentist up there. uh, Have you closed other than for emergencies or are you accepting patients right now? Uh, We have closed just for emergencies. And that's the other point I wanted to bring up. And I'm glad you're aware of it. I just wanted the public to know that we are open for emergencies and we have, you know, protocols to try to keep everybody safe. But we want to try to keep people from having to go to the ER and clog up the ER things that we might be better able to manage ourselves yeah and then and, and i mean well i i've I appreciate you doing this. Our, our dentists and orthodontists are in the same way here in Macon, and I know it, it, it sucks running a business and you got employees, um, but I know it's also the right thing to do. It's just not a not a difficult position to be in as a as a doctor. No, you're absolutely right. And one of the you know concerns that comes up is what happens if I end up getting the virus and then we're totally closed, and then you have to look at it that uh, you know doctors in the hospitals might actually get the virus and they don't mm-hmm. close those facilities you know we're here to serve the public and this well, is the he, reason he, why we went into this profession so even if we can answer a simple question i offer people my cell number where they can send me a picture of something it's really easy for me to do follow-up checks to make sure if i put somebody on a medicine that you know that they are actually getting better well, I mean, it sounds like you got a great opportunity to tell your family, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I got to go get a cabin in the woods by myself or go fishing and y'all can't come with me and 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 the rest of y'all are going to have to deal with the house. <laughs> Just get away from everybody for yourself. Take your cell phone with you. <laughs> now, I, if I was as talented as your wife, you know, and doing what she's doing, and that's what I'm just trying to do. I'm just going, I'm, you know, essentially going stir crazy Yeah. because, uh, 
we know we have a crisis, and we want to be able to help and, and get things back on track as soon as we can. Yeah, it, it, yeah it's not an easy situation for, for anybody. Listen, John, thanks very much for the phone call. If y'all want to call in, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Uh, and I mean, for, for Dennis and John's situation, uh, we, we've got a, several friends who are Dennis and they're in the same boat. They've had to close their offices except for emergencies and they want their patients to come to them for emergencies instead of going to the ER for emergencies because they don't want to clog up the emergency room. And a lot of patients are, are skeptical of doing that. And then, I mean, if the dentist gets the virus, you, you got to shut the whole office down. It, it is no easy situation. You, you know, honest to goodness. And I realize this is, this is completely different for me than for you guys. Uh, and, and it is, it is not a big deal in the grand scheme of things, but I, I kind of worry about that with me and this show. Um, if I were to get the virus, I would need a guest host, but there's all the facilities where a guest host could go to do this show for me are locked down to outsiders. So no one could get in. So there can be no guest hosts. So I've got to do it. Like I should, tomorrow should be my last day on the air here. Uh, tomorrow should be my last day. I should be on vacation next week with my kids on spring break. And I can't be on vacation on spring break with my kids next week. Um, and they're not going to go on vacation next week. We're going to go to Hilton Head. They're closing the island to visitors now. Uh, the governor's putting people in quarantine in South Carolina. But also, I can't get a guest host. Uh, the people who would be guest hosting for me can't come into the studio to do the show for me. So i got to be here or we got to do best ofs. And given what's going on right now, it would be inappropriate, I think, for me to do a guest host, uh, to have a guest host. Um so I, I, it's just, it, it's a hard time for everybody and nobody wants to get sick, obviously. And with this virus, even the mild symptoms can uh, waylay you for weeks on end. I, I was reading a report yesterday from somebody who said they had a mild case of it and still it took them three weeks before they could get out of bed without falling asleep. They were so exhausted. That's one of the side effects of this virus is, or I shouldn't say one of the side effects, one of the effects of the virus is it so exhausts your body, you sleep all the time. Uh, and that's one of the, the, the random effects from this. You, you typically you have a headache, you have a fever, uh, you may have a cough, but you also you sleep a lot. Uh, it just completely exhausts your body, very much like light pneumonia, because it gives you pneumonia, as a matter of fact. Um, and I just, there is no easy answer for those who are small business owners, uh, dentists, orthodontists, uh, general physicians, uh, shopkeepers, restaurateurs, there's just no easy answer right now for this. And it's financially ruinous for so many people, which is why the Senate and the House are pushing the stimulus package through. I want to keep taking your phone calls, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I also want to walk through the stimulus package for you, what's actually in this package that we know of. And don't forget, as always, you can text the word DATA to 33777, and I will get you uh, all the information on the viral numbers in Georgia, nationally and globally, uh, and my daily newsletter as well. The phone number here is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. To the phones we go. Linda, you're up next. Welcome. Good good morning. Uh, I wanted to comment on uh, the governor of New York taking on that uh, about the ventilators that he needs, but the other day when the president made a speech, he had offered the governor of New York to uh, uh, buy ventilators, I think it was back in 16, and they refused. So I hadn't heard any other 
everybody say this except Fox News, and this should be out on the air because, you know, if you're offered something and you refuse it, then you don't need to be acting like you that the president's not helping to get stuff to New York. Yeah, you're okay. So I think there's a little bit of a misunderstanding on this one. So the governor says they needed 30,000 ventilators. Uh, the FEMA was going to send 400. Now they're going to send 4,000 uh, ventilators. And the president said in the town hall on Fox uh, that in 2015, uh, they could. There were sixteen thousand ventilators that the governor turned down that they could have bought. Um, this actually comes from a uh, report in two thousand fifteen that New York, if there was a Spanish flu style outbreak, uh, New York could be short fifteen thousand ventilators. Um, it was the former lieutenant governor of New York who put that in an op-ed. Uh, this was a claim that was circulated on a couple of right-wing sites that the president picked up that uh, the the New York City governor had the opportunity to buy 15,000 and uh, he chose not to buy it. That's actually, the, the president was actually, he had read it off a conservative website. I don't want to give the name of the site because I think it's a garbage site, but I know people give the president stuff uh, from that site. So the president was right in that he read the article. The, the problem is that the article itself wasn't true. Um, the article was not true. There was a commission. It was the Task Force on Life and Law. And the task force did a report on pandemics in New York and said, if you had the 1918 Spanish flu epidemic, you would need a certain number of ventilators. And the number they gave was 15,000 ventilators. Uh, now, the, New York did not prepare for a uh, pandemic of the Spanish flu. And the reason they didn't prepare for the pandemic of the Spanish flu is because uh, the numbers were based on the flu. And everyone now has natural immunity to the flu. And so the reason New York didn't do it is because the underlying presumptions of the report were somewhat flawed in that. Uh, and by the way, uh, this report wasn't just for New York. Other states did the same thing and no state actually responded to their individual state reports for the same reason that this report said, if you have a Spanish, if you have Spanish flu outbreak, uh, here's what you're going to have to have. And what it missed is that now most everyone globally has some natural immunity to the Spanish flu. At this point, if the Spanish flu were to have it, we were to have an outbreak of the Spanish flu, it would be very much like the seasonal flu. And so the report completely ignored the fact that we all now have natural immunity to this. And you can say, well, but COVID-19, we don't have natural immunity and this presumed it. You're absolutely right. But in 2015, again, every state kind of engaged in this war game scenario of what you would need. And there was nothing on the horizon. And, and I personally don't think it's fair to blame the governor of Georgia at the time, Nathan Deal, or the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo for not buying thousands of ventilators in 2015 and putting them in a warehouse somewhere when there was no sign of a global pandemic on the horizon. Uh, I, I just don't think that it is fair to blame, because let me put it to you honestly. If your governor in 2015 said, hey, this report says I should buy 15,000 ventilators just to be safe, so we're going to cut something from the budget that you like to ensure we have these ventilators, every single one of you would be marching with pitchforks and, and, and mad as hell that the governor wasted your money on ventilators in 2015 and stuck them in a warehouse where they would never be used. So that's why they didn't do it. Um, and the president read it. I'm not attacking the president here. It's just what he read was wrong, and the president got bad information, unfortunately.
Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. If you want to be a part of the program, let's go back to the phones to Justin. Uh, Justin, welcome to the program. How are you? Great. How are you, Eric? Great. What's going on? So I have a question. You know, they say that this virus can live on surfaces, you know, for multiple days at a time. If someone passes from the virus and you go to the funeral home and you're staying six foot apart from everyone, but then you approach the body, can you still catch the virus? Uh, you can't. So, the, okay, the, the virus spreads in, in two ways. Uh, one comes from uh, someone has they, they've breathed out water, vapor, or uh, they've sneezed or they've coughed and you've inhaled it. Uh, the other way is uh, they, in sneezing or coughing, have released uh, fluid from their lungs that then attaches to a surface. You touch the surface, then you touch your face, um, and it gets in through an eye membrane or, or in the membrane of your nose or, or your mouth. Uh, so if you go to a funeral and there's a dead body, uh, because the dead body isn't releasing uh, water vapor from their mouth, uh, you can't get it from the body. Um, but you could get it from the people at the funeral home who were processing the body. If they didn't do a good job of sanitizing, uh, you get it that way. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. Um, my, my grandfather passed recently and we had to do a exterior by the graveside, uh, service. So, you know, that was one of the biggest reasons was, you know, mm -hmm. they thought that it could be transmitted. Yeah, um, it, it typically no, not uh, not once someone has died. Uh, now the virus will live uh, in a body for uh, just like it'll live on a hard surface for up to ninety six hours or so, uh, and um, that is part of the issue. Uh, but if if you're dead, so uh, I'm y'all, I'm I'm having a hard time remembering the word, um, and it's it's not pneumatic, uh, but it is pneuma. Uh, is is the way it starts. Um, pneumo something or other. In, in any event, again, I'm I, I I ain't the doctor, but I can tell you what the doctors say. Uh, pneuma is Greek for breath. If you read the if you read the New Testament, uh, you see the word pneuma. It's referring to the breath of God, the the Holy Spirit. Typically, um, is is the way it is meant. Pneuma. Uh, pneumatic, um, you know, pneumatic jacks and stuff are using air pressure. Uh, hydraulics use water. Pneumatic uses air pressure. Uh, and so this is a, a, for lack of a better word, pneumatic disease, so to speak. Uh, it spreads through your breath um, because of the water vapor droplets in your breath. And so when you're, that's why they want you to be six feet away from each other because the air is, is diffuse enough within six feet. The virus spreads in that six feet the UV rays of the sun and everything else in that six feet distance between someone expelling it and you inhaling it, uh, it minimizes your odds within three feet. The odds are you're going to get infected, uh, because it's the water vapor from your breath. The virus is in the water vapor. You inhale it. It gets into your lungs and the virus begins to spread in the same way. Someone sneezes and the water vapor from the sneeze or the cough lands on a, it lands on a metal rail. We know that stainless steel, this virus can live for, for, uh, 48 hours minimum, 96 hours, most scientists say. And now we know on the cruise ship, they were finding it 17 days later, still active. Uh, so you, you touch your hand on the metal rail 
and then you wipe your nose or your mouth, you have membrane uh, that the virus then gets into and, and gets into your body and begins to multiply within your body. That's why they want everybody to wash your hands as much as possible right now to avoid that or use hand sanitizer. Now, I realize there are some people, in fact, I've had some friends of mine who have been telling me hand sanitizer doesn't actually work. I, I got a bottle of Purell in my office. I had this before the virus, though. Um, let's see. It, it's uh, got ethyl alcohol, and it says uh, in here, my goodness, you know I've reached that age. Let's let's turn on the magnifying glass here and, and take a better picture. Did you know that your cell phone can do the magnifying glass? Good Lord, I'm becoming like Philip. Now I'm better than Philip here. I can do this. Um, 99% of common germs that may cause illness, Purell kills, based on a comparative study using 1.75 milliliters of Purell advanced hand sanitizer versus 3.5 milliliters of other brands, 63% with 63% less ethyl alcohol. Of course. Now, what does it kill? It kills uh, 99% of bacteria, viruses, and other germs. Now, what's the deal here? Well, uh, there are a lot of people are saying that Purell won't actually kill her hand sanitizer. I shouldn't say Purell, just hand sanitizer won't kill viruses. This, again, is is half-truths that are circulating on the Internet that cause problems. Uh, Hand sanitizer that is at least 65% ethyl alcohol. Uh, Purell is 70%. Now that I've got it, I'm going to use some. (laughs) Um, if it's 65% alcohol or more, it can kill viruses. It can take up to a minute to kill viruses, but, 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 but it doesn't kill all viruses. There are some viruses that hand sanitizer and alcohol will not kill. And I've had a number of friends of mine share with me that hand sanitizer is a waste of time because it won't kill the virus. Hand sanitizer will not kill some viruses, but it will kill some other viruses. And the coronaviruses are actually viruses that hand sanitizer will kill. So when your friend tells you hand sanitizer doesn't kill viruses, you can respond accurately and say, well, some viruses, no, but other viruses, yes. And the common cold, the influenza strain, and the the coronaviruses are all killed by hand sanitizer. Uh, Hand sanitizer disrupts the, the lining of the cell wall of the virus and essentially explodes the virus into pieces where it can do no harm. That's the reality of the situation. That is... Um, how hand sanitizer works. It also kills bacteria and other other things as well. So use hand sanitizer. Don't believe the people telling you it doesn't work. You know, I I, I got to tell you, you, you know the story in, in uh, the gospel. I, I think I've mentioned this to you guys before, but I'm, I'm going to uh, repeat myself. There's the story in the gospels of the demon-possessed men in the cemetery. Jesus sees them. And Jesus asked the demon uh, their, their their name, and they say, Legion, for we are many. And they say, Son of man, don't don't cast us out. Uh, let us go somewhere. And Jesus says, where do you want to go? Then they see a herd of pigs and the herd of pigs. So they, they go to the herd of pigs, and the herd of pigs run down the hill to their death in the lake. What the Bible leaves out, because people of the first century wouldn't have understood it, is that after the demons got out of the pig, I mean, the, the demons did not die when the pigs drowned. The, the demons are, are eternal. They had to go somewhere. And so what they did is they invented social media. Now, they left that out of the Bible because no one would have understood in the first century, but they invented social media. And that, that explains Twitter. Uh, every demon in that herd of pigs has a Twitter account or, or they're on social media. And, and there are so many people now who just spread factually untrue things on social media. But all of the polling suggests Americans right now on who to believe about this virus 
Only 14% of Democrats believe the president and 90% of Republicans do. But about 87% of Democrats and 87% of Republicans believe the CDC and Dr. Fauci at the National Institutes of Health. And then interestingly enough, 80% of Democrats and 80% of Republicans believe their friends. And it is the friends on the internet who are spreading the worst information. It is the friends on the internet who are the ones that are totally wrecking uh, everybody's idea of what is true and what is false. It is the friends on the internet who are spreading the half-truths. The number of people who tell me that hand sanitizer doesn't work, that's not true. It works on most viruses and all bacteria. The number of people who tell me that COVID-19 is just the common cold, that's not true. The number of people who tell me uh, we didn't shut down the government because of H1N1, why are we shutting it down now? It's just the same thing. That's actually not true. The reason we didn't is because H1N1 is an influenza, and this is not an influenza. It's something completely different. And yet everybody gets mixed up on what the truth is. Well, now let me see. I want to pivot here. This is my professional pivot into the stimulus plan and try to give you a sense of what's with the stimulus plan. The $2 trillion stimulus plan. By the way, they're already talking about the next phase of this. Uh, This was passed 96 to 0 in the United States Senate. Now, there is a rich irony here in that um, Rand Paul does not allow these things. Uh, Rand Paul typically votes against these sorts of things. And it is somewhat ironic that the guy most likely to vote against the coronavirus package is the guy infected with the coronavirus. So he couldn't be there. And I don't mean that disparagingly. There is just a level of irony. We can take note. Uh, Here is the breakdown of what's in the package. Direct payments to individuals under the plan that was being negotiated. Single Americans would receive $1,200. Married couples would get $2,400. Parents would get $500 for each child under 17. Oh, it is for each child now. Uh, or the original reporting was just $500. It's $500 for each child. The payments would start to phase out for individuals with adjusted gross incomes of more than $75,000. Those making more than $99,000 would not qualify at all. The thresholds are doubled for couples. The Department of Education will suspend payments on student loan borrowers without penalty through September 30th. Uh, The Department of Education was planning to allow student loan borrowers to suspend payments without penalty for 60 days. Uh, The deadline to obtain a real ID, a federally mandated identification that will be needed to board aircraft, will be extended until at least September 2021, a year past the current deadline. Um, otherwise it was going to have to be October 1st, you know, so I'm, uh, my driver's license expires this year. I got to get a new driver's license. It's got to be real ID compliant and it is a pain in the butt. Uh, you got to take your passport. You got to take your birth certificate. You got to take all, all you, you got a, a series of things you got to take. Uh, you can take a passport or a birth certificate and then you got to take like a, a bill, a, a utility bill to prove you live at your address, which is goofy. Um, there would be, uh, you've got unemployment benefits in the legislation. The federal government will give jobless workers an extra $600 a week for four months on top of state benefits. In addition, lawmakers will add up to 13 weeks of extended benefits covered fully by the federal government. State unemployment checks would last between 12 and 28 weeks, depending on the state. The Treasury Department will provide $500 billion in loans, loan guarantees, and investments. That specifically includes $25 billion for air carriers, $4 billion for cargo air carriers, $17 billion for businesses and national security. The other $454 billion 
will be given wide latitude to cover loans to businesses, states, and municipalities. The measure includes restrictions on businesses. The businesses may not issue dividends for up to a year after the loan is no longer outstanding and must retain 90% of employment levels as of March 24th to the extent practicable through September 30th. The loans can't be more than five years. There's a specific provision in the program for direct loans to mid-sized businesses defined as between 500 and 10,000 employees, as well as nonprofit organizations where no payments will be due for the first six months after the loan is issued. A Congressional Oversight Commission will monitor it. There will be an inspector general. Uh, The legislation prohibits elected officials and immediate relatives from obtaining funds from the loan. That includes the president, the vice president, members of Congress. No money uh, can go to the border wall. The Defense Department will get $1.2 billion for the National Guard's coronavirus response. Uh, an additional $1 billion will go to the Defense Purchases Act, uh, but none of the money can be used uh, for uh, to the border wall. So none of the money can go to the counter drug account, which is what the president's using for the border wall. Airlines and airports will get a bailout. The package includes $32 billion in grants for wages and benefits for airline for the airline industry. There's $25 billion for passenger airlines, $4 billion for cargo airliners, $3 billion for industry contractors. There's $25 billion uh, additional for passenger airlines and $4 billion for cargo airlines that will be available in loan guarantees. Uh, airports themselves will get financial funding to help them cover losses at airports. Uh, $117 billion will go to hospitals. According to the American Hospital Association, the bill creates a $100 billion public health and social emergency fund to reimburse providers for expenses and lost revenue. $65 billion will go to hospitals uh, with the rest funneled to doctors, nurses, suppliers, and others. The legislation boosts reimbursement by 20% for treating Medicare patients. Uh, It eliminates $8 billion in scheduled payment reductions to hospitals. Uh, And there's a temporary removing 2% cut for treating Medicare patients. And then independent contractors and gig workers will be available for will be eligible for federal aid. That's kind of important given the number of people who are contractors these days. The language provides certainty to millions of part time workers who work for Uber, who deliver for Amazon, and other things. Uh, this was actually requested by tech executives, including Uber CEO, um, that these workers will get some level of protection. If you have a 1099 income, we had a guy call yesterday. He's a 1099 worker. Uh, He gets paid as a contractor for various people. There are protections in here for him. And there are protections against foreclosures and evictions. The bill states that anyone facing a financial hardship from coronavirus will be given a forbearance on a federally backed mortgage loan of up to 60 days, which can be extended for four periods of 30 days each. The legislation says the servicers of federally backed mortgage loans may not begin the foreclose for 60 days after March 18th. It does not allow fees, penalties, or additional interest to be charged as a result of delayed payments. It includes similar protection for those with multifamily federal mortgage loans, allowing them to receive a 30-day forbearance and up to two 30-day extensions. Those with federally backed mortgage loans who have tenants would not be allowed to evict tenants solely for failure to pay rent for a 120-day period, and they may not charge fees or penalties to tenants for failing to pay rent. There's $25 million to support the John F. Kennedy Center for Performing Arts. Good Lord. 
There is funding for food assistance, $450 million for the Emergency Food Assistance Program, which supplies food banks. Uh, It includes $200 million for food assistance for Puerto Rico and other territories and $100 million for food distribution to American Indian reservations. It includes $324 million for the State Department to evacuate American citizens abroad, whether citizens or diplomats. There are 9,300 Americans already repatriated. There are 13,500 Americans still trying to get home. And there's $88 million for the Peace Corps in this. In addition, there's $324 million for diplomatic programs, $258 million for international disaster relief, $350 million for migration and refugee assistance, and $95 million for USAID operating expenses for foreign aid. Uh, This is all courtesy of a breakdown at CNN. If you're on Twitter, I'm going to tweet this out right now uh what's in the two trillion dollar coronavirus package and i will this afternoon if you subscribe to my daily newsletter uh text data to 33777 later this afternoon i will put this uh in an email that you will get this afternoon and you will be able to see this for yourself what's all in the package and cnn is updating this as they make their way through the legislation so i'll keep you up to date give you all of that uh in the email text data to 33777 it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. A listener uh, sent me uh, information and said, according to District 4 Department of Public Health, uh, there were three cases uh, in Pike County reported of COVID-19, and that's incorrect. Um, there are 76 total cases in District 4. There are no cases in Pike County. Uh, and what is District 4? It includes uh, Butts, Carroll, Coweta, Fayette, Heard, Henry, Lamar, Meriwether, Pike, Spalding, Troop, and Upson County. Um, the revised numbers now for them... Um, uh, for this is actually this is two day old information now that I'm being sent. So um, never mind, ignore me. I'm just realizing that the timestamp on this that uh, a listener sent me trying to tell me there were no cases in in Pike County and it's two day old information. And now we actually do know that there is uh, there are cases there. Um, let me give you the actual number now that I've said that for you. Um, there are nope. There are no cases in Pike County. Okay, still holding steady. But in Meriwether County, there's one, uh, and in Coweta, there are now ten. Uh, there are ten in Spalding. There's three in Lamar. Monroe has three. Upson County has none, and Pike County currently have none. If you're listening on WMAC in Middle Georgia, you got no cases in Crawford County, in Upson County or in Pike County right now, or in Talbot County, they're near Columbus. You do have cases in Columbus, though, in in Harris County and in Muskogee County. You got cases and headed up 85 and 75. Basically, uh, you go up and down 75 and 85. You got cases throughout um, until you get to the outer edges. Interestingly enough, uh, head down 75. Dooley County has none right now. Um, I would expect that to change, but that's Unadilla and Vienna. My wife's family's from down there, and there are no cases in Dooley County right now, nor are there, are there cases in Wilcox County right now. Um, that situation may change, though. Those counties are completely engulfed in counties around them who have it. Houston County's got six cases down there uh, south of Macon. They got six cases. And then, of course, you get down into to Darty County. You got a, got a whole lot of cases down there. When we come Come back. Uh, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger is going to join me. The entire state of Georgia is going to get an absentee ballot application. 
And uh, the reason that he wants to do this is to be able to uh, let everyone vote from home who wants to vote from home, make it as easy as possible in the state of Georgia so people don't have to show up at the election. Um, and, and, you know, you can't do door-to-door politics right now. Things have changed in this country. Uh, you used to be able to go door-to-door and try to get people out to vote, and right now nobody wants anybody at their door. And so the situation has is different from anything we've seen in the past. And I want to talk to him about that and how the Secretary of State's office, you know, the Secretary of State's office beyond just voting, the Secretary of State's office deals with a lot of stuff, including occupational licenses. What about people who have occupational licenses right now? Some of them having to go in for tests and whatnot, and they can't go in for tests because they can't be around other people. You got to be socially distanced. So how does all of that work? Also want to keep taking your phone calls as well. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425 is the phone number. Remember, if you text recipe to 33777, I will start sending out recipes, I promise. But the big one that I, I want everyone to just get in the habit of doing is text data to 33777. So I can send you back the link to my newsletter where I'm sending it out free of charge to everybody to keep you up to date on the COVID-19 spread, as well as the data on what's happening in Georgia and what's happening nationally and globally as this virus continues to spread. We'll be back with the Georgia Secretary of State. They send me a script for these sorts of things. I don't need a script for this because it's about the Quip electric toothbrush, which is my toothbrush. It is my wife's toothbrush. It is my daughter's toothbrush. It's about to be my son's toothbrush as well. He's 11, and we're about to get him the grown-up version of it. They've got a kid's version too, though. We love Quip in our house. We've been using Quip well before they were a sponsor, an advertiser, or anything else. Why? Because some electric toothbrushes are super expensive and super bulky and terribly designed, and Quip, you can tell, is designed by dentists and designers together. It vibrates for two minutes and pulses every 30 seconds so you get an even clean in your mouth and then it turns itself off. It is well designed and it's even now got a quip floss dispenser that comes with pre-marked string to help just so you get the best flossing because you know Dennis wants you to floss and hardly any of us do. But some of you do. Now, join over 3 million healthy mouths. Get Quip today, starting at $25. All you do is go to getquip.com slash Erickson right now. You'll get your first refill free even. Why a refill? Well, they send you a new brush head every three months, just like the doctors or the dentists recommend, so that you get up to date with a fresh toothbrush every three months. And you get your first refill for free at getquip.com slash Erickson. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash Erickson. Quip is... The Good Habits Company. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here at the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. Glad to have you joining me on the internet as well, streaming live. Uh, so everybody can tune in. And I just want to keep welcoming the folks at uh, Doc 103.9, uh, our newest affiliate. Glad to have them with us in, in the beautiful lake country of Georgia. Gosh. I would love to be on Lake Oconee right now uh, instead of here with you people. (laughs) Sorry. Listen, I'm supposed to be on vacation next week, and it's all been canceled because of this virus. Somebody who is also uh, never saw virus coming when when he took the job and yet is having to deal with it and is doing so admirably is our Secretary of State here in Georgia, Brad Raffensperger, who's joining me now. Mr. Secretary, thanks so much for calling in today. Well, thank you, Eric, for making some time for me. 
So, and again, I've commented so much this week with the different public officials I've interviewed. Nobody saw a virus coming when you took the job, and and suddenly it has come and thrown everybody for a loop, and, and you and the Secretary of State's office are completely having to adapt uh, beyond just the absentee balloting. Your office does so much with businesses and occupational licenses, and uh, if you wouldn't mind just kind of filling, filling everybody in on what your office is having to do differently or think differently about than in the past. Well, I guess since you brought up about licenses, we're looking at all of our people in the Macon office are as much as we can having them work at home. And then we're looking at how we can expedite licenses. And we did that with the nurses, particularly for nurses coming from out of state. So they get up and get a temporary license. We're also extending the filing for your corporations out to May 1 to give business owners additional time. But obviously everyone's focus really is on elections and that's why uh, we've made the unprecedented step to have absentee ballot request forms sent out to every active registered voter in the state state of Georgia, and that's 6.9 million voters. Now, how will that work? You just, a standard form, you, you fill out the absentee ballot, send it back in, and, and people are going to get their ballot at home? Exactly. So when it shows up in your mailbox in about two weeks from now, uh, for the May 19th primary, the general primary, uh, it'll also, uh, you ha- really have to just list or decide one of three things. Do you want a Democrat ballot, Republican ballot, or an independent ballot? You know, put the X there and then close it up and then send it back to your county. Once your county receives that form, they'll enter you into the system. And once we collected those, then we'll begin the process of mailing out the absentee ballots to, you know, all the voters. Now, I, I want to spend a moment with you on, on the FC ballot, because it, when I was in law school, I actually interned for Kathy Cox, who was in the Secretary of State, and, and it was right when we were doing the transition to electronic balloting, and I I revised several of the booklets for the office on how you conduct an election and arrange locations and how you handle absentee ballots, and yesterday I had a lady on my evening show on WSB call me who was deeply skeptical of the integrity of absentee balloting and, and wasn't sure she wanted to fill out the form. And I tried to assure her that, you know, the county governments, county boards of elections actually are treat the FC ballot as fairly sacred. They've got some great secure processes. She shouldn't have to worry about it. And and I then this opportunity arose uh, with you being here this morning and wanted to let you talk to, to people who may be skeptical about absentee balloting and, and get your take on it. From the standpoint, when you receive the application and you check the box and then later on we send the ballot out to you, that process is secure because you are actually going to sign your ballot, you're going to send it in, and then your counties are going to receive that. So you are depending on the, the United States Postal Service to, to get the ballot to the county. The county is going to open it up. But I've traveled throughout the state, and every county election official I've met has personal integrity. They're hardworking people trying to do their job right doesn't matter whether they lean left or lean right. At the end of the day, they're, they're right down the middle. They want to get the process right. So your ballot will be secure and will be accurately counted if you go forward with the absentee ballot process. Now, do you think that we're going to be able to have in-person voting in May? Um, oh, we, yes, Eric, we, we intend to have you know three weeks of early voting. And we also intend to have voting you know on you know, Tuesday, you know May 19th. Our concern and the concern of our county election officials is that because the average age of poll workers right now is 72, every poll worker may not show up. They still may not feel comfortable, depending on where we are with COVID-19. 
so you end up that you may not, may not be able to handle the traditional numbers we would expect. So therefore, this is almost like a pressure relief valve, but it's also a great opportunity if you are over the age of 50, if, if you have an underlying you know, health condition, then please feel free to, and we encourage you to take advantage of the absentee ballot you know, process because then you don't have to worry about coming out into the public space. But uh, it also helps us managing any loads that we could have on those three weeks just because we may not have be at full staffing levels for our poll workers. I'm glad you bring up the poll workers. My mother-in-law over in Carroll County uh, does the volunteer poll work, and and, and she has lamented uh, in the past that it is almost entirely a senior citizen brigade, and, and they could use some fresh blood in to help uh, the people who are poll workers in the state. How, how do people go about doing something like that? Well, they can go to securevoteGA.com and put your name on that. Uh, you could also email your county election official, tell them that you'd like to volunteer to be a poll worker. It does pay, so it's not truly a volunteer position, but it's something great. And your community and Georgia could really use you right now. It take about four to eight hours for uh, training, and we're looking at doing some of that as online training to get you, you know, certified to be an official poll worker. Now, beyond this, uh, I saw a report in the AJC this morning that I actually laughed as I was reading, and I want to talk about it on the show, and I didn't get time earlier, and figured I would save it for you, that uh, one of the things that you've been working on as Secretary of State is trying to listen to the calls from people who want additional precincts in certain areas of the state where there are regular backs up, backups, uh, particularly in, in some of the metro Atlanta areas and other areas of the state where you get a predictable backups in lines, and so you've wanted to expand the number of precincts. And I was actually, I found it funny and also a little bit shocking that some of the very voting rights groups that have been demanding this are suddenly don't seem to to want the precincts to come online this year for a presidential election. And wanted to see if you had any insight into that. Well, Eric, if you really boil it all down, it's, it's pretty silly because you think about it, these same people that said they, there was the long line, the precincts were too large, were actually suing some of the counties to right. add additional polling locations. Now, uh, you know, Senator John Kennedy from, you know, the Macon uh, area, he go ahead, he sponsors a bill and carries that through the Senate and just a very, you know, uh, eloquently just made the point that we're actually trying to reduce lines. It's a, it's a good bill. And it, it just doesn't make sense why anyone could oppose to have shorter lines. Yeah. And, and you know, in addition, it, very much like the the new voting machines. Now, I, I haven't had a chance to demo them, but I know a number of people who have. And I, I was skeptical. I was one of the people. And again, having interned at the Secretary of State's office as we made this transition uh, back when I was in law school to electronic voting, the, the number of disabled and elderly people who love the electronic machines because they can see them better and get their vote cast and I remember in, in the time it was the the it was re- Democrats who were big champions of it, Republicans who were skeptical, and now suddenly the, the party role has reversed in in skepticism, and yet the machines actually give people what they want—a paper ballot uh, a- printed out after they've cast their vote—and yet we still now see this ongoing opposition to to the hard work you guys have done in this. Well, what we have seen when we did our demonstrations, we did the state fair down in Perry. Over 3,600 people voted with the new machines. We went over to the Columbia County Fair uh, over in the Augusta area, and people actually got on the evening news, and people were holding up that piece of paper, and they said, now that I you know, had that piece of paper, I know my vote counts. Some people that involved with the NAACP, uh, other organizations, 
everyone likes it except a few of these activists. No matter what you do, it seems like you can't make them happy because they need something to whine and complain about. But voters are really excited about it. Voters are, have really accepted it because they know they have a verifiable paper ballot. And we're excited about bringing that to voters. Well, look, I appreciate the work you have done in this and, and this absentee balloting process. I, I know, again, it, it's not something anyone anticipated, and uh, you guys are, are really pushing forward. I, I, I do want to go back to occupational licensing while I got you here for just a minute, because mm-hmm. I do know, for example, uh, a lot of barbers and salons, they're, they're closed down now. But um, to what extent are you guys willing to extend if there's a license on the verge of expiring for, for people who can't go in and, and re-up or renew their licenses right now? Yeah, we want uh, to really, we've been highly, you know, recommending to the board. Uh, we don't have direct oversight over them. Uh, they're appointed, you know, by and large by the governor. And and so, you know, we have influence there. And obviously we manage that process, but they have to, you know, then convene a, probably a, a tele-meeting, a Zoom meeting, meeting to change some of their rules and regulations or waive them uh, based on the, uh, health emergency we're under right now, but we think it's the right thing to do. That we need to make sure that you know small business owners, and that's what these folks are. Small business owners can continue to operate their business at some level. They have some kind of cash coming through the door, because you can't run a business with zero cash. It's really tough. What's happening right now? You look at the unemployment. You know how it's just you know shot through the roof. Uh, that was just released. Uh, we need to get people back to working, and we have to balance that with obviously the health concerns, but also we have to have the economy working. And so it's you know really walking that fine line. And uh, I think Governor Kemp is doing a great job right now. Well, and and also I, I want to commend you real quick for for the aggressiveness of the office on sending out uh, annual registration reminders for corporations. Actually, as you and I are talking, I just had one pop up reminding me I've got an annual registration due, and the the ability just uh, from from then Secretary of State Kemp into your office, the the expansion of the ability of businesses. Uh, to go online and do stuff through your office without ever having to physically contact pre- people, particularly at a time like this, I think it's just been fantastic. Over 90% of, of uh, business owners renew their corporation online, and now you can renew your corporation for up to three years, one, two, or three years. That's your choice as a business owner. So we always believe in giving business owners, voters, and any other uh, entrepreneur that you know touches our office options and choices. Well, listen, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, I appreciate you coming in uh, and talking to us this morning. And I know it is no difficult or no easy thing right now, difficult times ahead. And and you guys are managing it very well in terms of the election and everything else you're doing. So thank you. Thank you, Eric. Thanks for making time for us. Absolutely. Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, again, I I mean, everybody, regardless of the elected official, regardless of the bureaucrat, whoever, no one saw a global pandemic coming when they were on the ballot in 2018. And Brad Raffensperger, new to the job, really stepped up. And I I do want to spend some time on the story. I I didn't want to, he he wanted to come on and talk about the election and not make partisan points. And I didn't want to delve into the partisan politics of it too hard with him. But it is very notable. One of the things he wants to do is Senator John Kennedy from down in Macon, uh, sponsored the legislation to address the concerns of Democratic constituency groups, particularly those groups that were connected to Stacey Abrams, who wanted additional polling precincts in areas where the lines back up. The Secretary of State's office studied it and agreed and got legislation. Uh, John Kennedy in the state Senate is ushering the legislation through the legislature. And now the very groups that wanted additional precincts are now opposed 
You heard that right, actually. You did. Uh, the very groups that have been wanting these additional precincts are now screaming that it must be some sort of trap, that the Republicans are giving them what they want, when actually it has everything to do with maybe, just maybe, finally, Fulton County. When we all go to sleep at night, we'll have a sense of what the vote is in Fulton instead of waiting for three days for them to figure out how to turn their computers on and count the vote or get people out of the lines. It's just the whole thing is crazy to be screaming. You're, you're getting what you want, and now you're not happy about it. Hello there. Uh, it is Eric Erickson. The phone number, if you would like to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I, 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 gotta, I, I really got to read you this. Uh, from the AJC, uh, this is what I was talking about. At first, a bill to fight long lines and open more voting locations seemed like it could win broad-based support. After all, who wants to be stuck in lines? Then came the backlash. A voting rights group called the proposal the Anti-Voting Rights Bill of 2020. Democrats in the state Senate said voters would still go to their old precincts where they'd be unable to cast a ballot. They say the bill would discourage turnout instead of increasing it. The legislation would require election officials to add precincts, poll workers, or voting equipment if voters had to wait in line for more than an hour before checking in to vote in the previous election. Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger and Republicans said the measure would give voters more access to the polls. At least 214 precincts closed in Georgia between 2012 and 2018, all, by the way, done by local officials, most of whom were Democrats. Voting rights groups should welcome expanded access to polling locations and shorter lines, says the De Deputy Secretary of State. Now it's clear that some are talk uh, and they just want a talking point. Some Georgia voters waited in line for more than three hours in 2018 when turnout reached a state record for midterm election and precincts lacked enough voting machines. Now, why did they lack enough voting machines? Because the Democrats in the metro Atlanta area sued over the integrity of the voting machines and the Democratic boards of elections in Fulton and Cobb and Gwinnett locked down a bunch of the voting machines and didn't have them in precincts. Uh, it, it just, just, wow. Um, so they, they sued they caused a reduction in the number of, of voting machines. And then they said, hey, look, we don't have enough voting machines. Well, yes, because you sued and, and had a judge order them out of commission. Critics of the bill say they want more polling places, but not in the middle of a presidential election year. They say voters would turn up at the wrong location if the precinct changed. We're going to sow more confusion, says Fair Fight Action. That's Stacey Abrams' group. The bill is creating barriers. Okay, so wait a second. So these groups want more polling precinct locations. They just don't want it done in a presidential election year. I, I Yeah, I, my pause here is intentional. Meditate on this momentarily. Uh, Stacey Abrams Voting Rights Group has been demanding more polling precincts. The Secretary of State's office says, yes, we should do it. The state Senate drafts a measure to do it. And now Stacey Abrams Voting Group says, wait, 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 we don't actually want it this year for a presidential election. Yeah, I want you to meditate on that for a moment. The bill would require county election workers to keep track of wait times and make changes before the next general election if lines exceed one hour. Counties would have the option of splitting precincts, adding voting equipment, or hiring more poll workers. So wait, 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 wait. So it doesn't even necessarily create 
more precincts. It gives counties flexibility in what they should do. Should they add more voting equipment? Should they hire more poll workers? Or should they create new precincts? The legislation applies to precincts with more than 2,000 registered voters. Of the nearly 2,700 precincts in Georgia, over 1,500 of them exceed 2,000 voters. People are not going to know that their precinct is split if they don't see mailed notifications, uh, says the Georgia director of All Voting is Local, an organization focused on voting access. What What the I'm y'all, I'm trying not to utter profanity right now. I'm trying not to utter profanity. Uh, these people are getting what they want and now they don't want it. Here's Senator John Kennedy from Macon. This is his quote in the AJC. Yeah, and he is John F. Kennedy. He's a friend of mine. And yes, it is John F. Kennedy. The real oddity is that the complaint we've heard before is that folks have to drive too far or precincts aren't readily available. You've now made precincts close to where people live. I don't see how that's not a good thing. The voters would have the option to include a copy of their ID with a mailed-in paper ballot. Uh, it contains a... Um, photo ID requirement for absentee balloting, which they haven't really raised the issue of, uh, allowing the photo ID would make it easier to make sure that the voter is who the voter says it is. Sounds like it's good legislation. It sounds like it's good legislation. So it would allow, it would give local entities. By the way, I, I can, can we just, can we acknowledge something here in the sake, sake of, of honesty and argument? that you're allowing local Democratic governments in the metro Atlanta area to create new precincts. Do you not think that the Democrats are going to notify the Democrats that they've created new precincts? If anything, it's the Republicans in these counties who are going to be up a creek. I mean, if we're, if we're going for partisan machinations, and that, that's the, the underlying presupposition to the objection is that you're going to have partisan hanky-panky. Partisan hanky-panky is going to be going on. Well, it's going to be Democratic counties doing it. So it's the Republicans who are going to be up a creek, and yet it's the Republicans who are okay with the measure. These people have been clamoring for more precincts since since I've been active in politics in Georgia, you've had Democrats demanding more precincts. Even when the Democrats were in charge of the state, the Democrats were demanding more precincts. And it's the Republicans who have finally given them what they want, and suddenly they're, it's a conspiracy. They can't really mean it, can they? There must be hanky pay. Oh, I know what it is. Is We're going to have people show up on the general election and say, I vote here. You know, you could very easily put in a provision that says if it was your precinct and it no longer is your precinct because of this change, you can still cast your ballot there. <gasps> Get it up. Kind of makes, makes your head hurt. It's almost as if these people aren't actually being honest when they say they want election reform, isn't it? We're giving them what they want, and now they don't want it? That seems a little bit odd, does it not? Except there's a provision that really the reason they're trying to scuttle it, um, and we'll explain that when we come back, what the secret provision is. That's not a secret provision, and it's the one they really hate, but they don't want to raise a red flag about it. So it, you, maybe you'll find this uh, interesting or, or may, maybe not. I, I assume you will. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, by the way, 
is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. There is a a renewed uh, antagonism in the media towards Fox News right now, particularly as the ratings book comes out, and Fox is garnering more viewership than the other news networks combined. Now, I received an email from Media Matters. Uh, Media Matters is a left-wing group that attacks people in media. They, they've come after me repeatedly. Uh, what they try to do is organize boycotts, and typically it's a handful of people. In fact, so interestingly enough, let, let me tell you, this happened to me the other day. Um, when I was commenting on the use of, of, uh, the, 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 of the Kung flu as, as a phrase, which I, I changed my mind on after talking to various friends, I don't want to encourage it because there actually are some white supremacy. Have you heard about these white supremacy groups out there? Uh, one of them trying to blow up a hospital in New York city, another encouraging people to, to contract the virus and then go to synagogues and, and mosques and spread it to people. Uh, actual, actual people suggesting that. Um, and, and I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to encourage it. And, and so I, I have decided I probably won't be using the phrase Kung flu. I, I originally found it actually kind of funny uh, and creative. I was a little bit upset that someone was more creative than me to come up with it. Uh, but nonetheless, I am now discouraging people from using it. Um, but, but, but Wuhan virus and Chinese virus, I think are fair game in large part because China's running a propaganda ring uh, trying to convince people that the United States is to blame for the virus. And the media itself is not covering that, uh, but it actually is legitimate that they are very much trying to blame the United States for the spread of the virus. Iran is doing the same thing with Iranian propaganda. Anyway, Media Matters is a left-wing group that if you say something, if you're a conservative and you say something, they want to go after your advertisers. And I had a situation after I had, had joked about the Kung Flu uh, phrase that I'm sure it was Media Matters. Uh, my boss uh, for my other radio show was bombarded with people. One person in particular called and said he would never listen to the station again. He was so upset. Um, and, and even when the Braves came back on, he was not going to start listening to the station again. Well, that person actually was calling from South Carolina and clearly doesn't listen to the station because the station I'm on in Atlanta doesn't carry the Braves. Uh, and and that's what Media Matters does. It organizes a handful of people in their mother in their mother's basements to go around and pretend that they are actually a horde of people that they are legion and harass advertisers. Uh, my advertisers actually have a great av- a great relationship with them, and and with the exception of one, Harry's Razors, uh, I, I've been able to keep all my advertisers. Uh, Harry's Razors got bought by a big uh, Fortune 500 company and ditched all their conservative advertisers. I still use Harry's Razors. I think it's a great product, um, but they ran away from all the conservatives um, after some harassment once they got bought by corporate power. But Media Matters loves to go after not just uh, conservative talk radio show hosts like me, and Rush Limbaugh and Ben Shapiro and others, but they love to go after Fox News and and they have a PR team. And the PR team sent an email yesterday uh, proclaiming it racism at Fox News that they were using the phrase Wuhan virus and Chinese virus. Let me read you two paragraphs here. Tucker Carlson himself represented a substantially large portion of uses of the terms Wuhan virus and Chinese virus on Fox. 
43 of the 144 instances came from the primetime host. Carlson had taken particular interest in defending the use of such terms, stating during the March 12th edition of his program, just to be clear, describing the virus from Wuhan as the Wuhan virus is not xenophobic. It's accuracy and anybody it's accurate and anyone who says otherwise is lying and probably for a reason. According to Media Matters, the first instance of Fox News personalities referring to the coronavirus as the Wuhan virus after there was a confirmed case in the U.S. took place on January 22nd. But wait, you might be interested to know and what they leave out of this is that uh, CNN, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, NBC, PBS, The New York Times, The Washington Post, The LA Times, USA Today, The Miami Herald, The Wall Street Journal, they were all using the phrase the Wuhan virus or the Wuhan coronavirus at the same time. Media Matters doesn't point out that every media organization in the country was using the phrase and that Fox News picked it up again in March after Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, pointed out that China was trying to blame the United States for spreading the virus, and so Mike Pompeo was advocating within the State Department that it used the phrase Wuhan virus or Wuhan coronavirus. So in other words, Fox News is more pro-America than Media Matters is. Media Matters, of course, would love Chinese overlords. Um, they're a bunch of communists who work at Media Matters anyway. They'd be perfectly happy to have Chinese authoritarians because Media Matters loves censorship and loves punishing anyone who has dissent. But there's more to it than that. Uh, it's not just Media Matters doing it. The New York Times has a clear priapist uh, issue when it comes to Fox News. At this point, it's lasted for four more than four hours, and they should probably go get medical attention. For two days, Ben Smith, who had been the editor of BuzzFeed, he's the guy who published the Christopher Steele dossier, even though it was full of lies, and defended doing so, by the way. He's jumped over to the New York Times now as a media critic, where apparently media critic means you just attack Fox News every day. Um, he, he's blasted Lachlan Murdoch. Now, you probably don't know who Lachlan Murdoch is. Uh, he's 48 years old, uh, way richer than, than I will ever be. He is the son of Rupert Murdoch, and Rupert Murdoch has appointed him the heir to Fox News, and not just Fox News, but 21st Century Corporation. Fox News has a CEO. The CEO of Fox News is named Suzanne Scott. She replaced Roger Ailes. Suzanne Scott is in charge of Fox, and the criticism leveled by the New York Times and Ben Smith is that, is that Lachlan Murdoch did not intervene at Fox News and direct their editorial comment. Here's a quote from the New York Times. The person who could have stopped the flow of misinformation on Hannity, Ingram, and, and the rest was Miss Scott's boss, Lachlan Murdoch, the chief executive of the Fox Corporation, but he wasn't paying much attention. Actually, he's the chief executive of 21st Century Fox, which actually owns a whole lot of stuff. Uh, let, let me read for you that it owns the Fox Entertainment Group. It owns 20th Century Studios. Uh, it owns 20th Century uh, Fox Television. It owns 20th Century Fox Entertainment. It owns Zero Day Fox. Um, now, most of the studio stuff has been sold to Disney, but it still owns, let's see, uh, Indemol Shine Group, the Fox Television Studios production. It owns Fox Broadcasting. It owns My Network TV. It owns uh, a, a group called Movies. It owns Fox Television Stations. It owns Tata Sky Network in India. It owns Fox Networks. It owns Star India. It owns Fox Business Network, Fox Movie Channel, Fox News Channel, Fox Sports Channel, Fox College Sports, Fox Sports International, FX Networks. 
uh, Big Ten Network, National Geographic, uh, on and on and on a lot of the stuff. Well, some of the stuff's gotten folded into Disney, of course. Some of it's been updated. Um, yeah, I'm reading this off Wikipedia, but it owns a lot of stuff. It doesn't just own News Corp or, or it doesn't just own Fox News. And when Roger Ailes was the head of Fox News, Roger Ailes had all the independence that he could manage and handle to run Fox. And Rupert Murdoch left him alone. And now, interestingly enough, uh, there's a woman in charge of Fox News. And with a woman in charge of Fox News, the media is outraged uh, that the corporate overlords of 21st Century Fox are not intervening and dictating to the woman how she runs the network. You know, if they did, the New York Times would be blasting them for interfering with a woman on the job. But the, because Lachlan Murdoch is letting her be the CEO of Fox, they're, they're blasting him for, for not interfering. He, he can't win. And there's also this, and I got to tell you, it's a really, really grubby accusation. They're accusing Fox. There was a party for Rupert Murdoch. He's 89 years old, and they're attacking Fox News, and they're attacking the Murdoch family for regulating who could come to the party and how it should be done as the virus was spreading in Los Angeles. They didn't want to get Rupert Murdoch sick. And they're blasting him. How dare you not get this guy sick when hosts on your network are saying this virus is no big deal? Do you know reporters at the New York Times nearly rioted because the editors at the New York Times weren't willing to get into woke politics enough? The transgender advocacy and, and nonsense like that, they, they weren't willing to do it. And so the reporters were upset. And so the fallback was the New York Times came up with the 1619 Project. The 1619 Project has been widely ridiculed by historians, the left, right, and center. In fact, some of the historians that the New York Times consulted with on the 1619 Project have come out and said that they told the New York Times not to do it, that the project was wrong. Uh, the New York Times argument is that uh, the United States as a project began in 1619 when the first slaves came onto the New World. Never mind that the Plymouth Colony was there for several years before a slave ever appeared there. And most people have always traced uh, the, the United States, the Puritan upbringing of the United States to the pilgrims in Plymouth. But no. No, no. The New York Times says, no, we're all wrong about this. We're all wrong. 200 years of American history is wrong. It turns out it was when the first slave showed up in 1619. And we, the United States, our revolutionary founding fathers, were all vehicles of racism. Never mind that most of them were writing against slavery at the time and decided, hey, it's more important we get our independence from Britain. We can deal with slavery later. And and, and they failed to, but it's not like they, they supported it. The New York Times completely rewrote the history of the United States, completely rewrote the history of the Western Hemisphere to try to make it all about slavery, which isn't the case. And even again, the historians who the New York Times reached out to said, no, this is wrong. You shouldn't do it. Not only did the New York Times do it, but they're now trying to market it into a school indoctrination agenda for public schools across America for profit. Maybe the New York Times should be a little more reflective and look inward and take care of its own business and stop lying about the United States instead of attacking the one news network that's actually pro-America. But it's not just them either. It, it, it's CNN. If you watch, for example, Brian Steltler on CNN's Reliable Sources, it, his day, his show, it, it's almost pornographic in its, its coverage of Fox News. Now, CNN is currently run by a guy named Jeff Zucker. Jeff Zucker was the executive producer for a long time of the Today Show and rose to the ranks at MSNBC or at MS at NBC as Matt Lauer was sexually harassing people and sleeping with people and doing all sorts of stuff. There was a, a roast of Matt Lauer several years ago. It was a birthday party. 
And Jeff Sucker was there, and I can't even read you the jokes that Jeff Sucker told about Matt Lauer and Matt Lauer's uh, sexual predilections, other than uh, the one thing he said was, it's just good to see Matt up here and not under my desk. Everything else is down there, is downhill from there. Zucker claims, though he was there while all of this was going on, Jeff Zucker claims he knew nothing about Matt. He could make all these jokes about Matt Lauer's sexual behavior, but he claims he knew actually nothing about it. He just happened to happened to say those jokes, knew nothing. The, the, the media establishment in New York circled the wagons around Jeff Zucker and bought the idea that he knew nothing. Much like they all say, oh, we didn't know about Harvey Weinstein. And you know what, what NBC News did is NBC News did an internal investigation that proved that none of the executives knew anything about what happened with Matt Lauer. Contrast that with Fox News and Roger Ailes. They went to the outside and brought in an outside agency to launch an independent investigation. And Bill O'Reilly lost his job. Roger Ailes lost his job. A bunch of other people were either disciplined or lost their jobs. And yet the media looks at what Fox did, an independent review, and says, oh, this company's bad. Meanwhile, NBC circles the wagons around Jeff Zucker, and, and he's at CNN now. So CNN circles the wagons around him. We can't do this. Brian Stetler would never cover Jeff Zucker in the way he wants to cover Fox News. He's an apologist for bad behavior when it happens to the people on whose payroll he is. But here's the thing. This is why. Why am? Why are you doing an in-the-show monologue on Fox News? Don't even work at Fox. Used to, by the way. I was three years at CNN, five years at Fox. Don't work at either one anymore in Fox. I didn't want to stay at Fox. Fox didn't want me to stay. It was a, a mutual parting of the ways. But the reason I'm doing it is because Fox News inarguably has more viewership than all the other media networks combined, all the other news networks combined. And it's transitioning to Lachlan Murdoch, who I don't know, but have kind of kept up with his career in the past. And he seems highly competent. And they're using this transition from Rupert Murdoch to Lachlan Murdoch to yet again fester grievance against Fox News. And the reason they're festering grievance against Fox News is jealousy. Fox dominates the ratings and Fox clearly has the president's attention. The president clearly watches Fox and Friends in the morning. He clearly pays attention to Tucker Carlson. And by the way, Tucker Carlson has been one of the grown-ups when this coronavirus has come. Tucker Carlson is one of the only other people I know in conservative media besides myself who has been out there since January saying this is going to be a big deal. Pay attention to it. If it gets to the United States, it's going to matter. Well, I, I should say the, Ben Shapiro as well. The three of us, we've kind of been been uh, the three amigos when it comes to actually telling everyone on the conservative media side, no, 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 you need to pay attention to this. It's a big deal. And and they're going after you got media matters attacking Tucker Carlson, claiming he's a racist for what? For raising the red flag about a virus coming from Wuhan, China and calling it the Wuhan virus, just like CNN did and MSNBC did at the same time. And they're blasting Lachlan Murdoch for daring to allow the executives at Fox News to have free reign over their editorial coverage and not dictating terms to their to their news coverage. CNN in particular, CNN in particular is a network that I respect greatly and have a lot of friends with there, and I think they do a very good job of news, but their ratings suck. 
And Zucker came in and Zucker claimed he was going to build a ratings. Remember, we went nonstop on the 777, the Malaysian Air 777, to the point that Don Lemon was having people on to speculate that maybe a black hole sucked up the 777. If Fox News had done that, you would have to put Brian Stetler's reliable sources on pay-per-view and, and make it an NC-17 rating had Fox News done that to, to watch CNN's coverage of that. But that actually happened on CNN. On Stelter's own show, someone came on and accused the president of killing more people than Hitler. Had that happened on Fox News, had someone on Fox accused Barack Obama of killing more people than Hitler, there would be a complete meltdown at CNN. But that actually happened on CNN. The level of hypocrisy is staggering. The lack of of insight and reflection, willful reflection of members of the media. Instead, they look at Fox News and they've decided we're not going to even try to get a conservative audience. What we're going to do is try to destroy the Murdoch family and try to destroy Fox News because we don't want to compete on the right. We don't want to we don't want to even pay attention to what people on the right are thinking. Everyone should believe like us. And, And they are quintessentially inside a bubble. And that's part of the American press corps problem. The reason the American press corps is melting down right now about New York City and the spread of the coronavirus is because they're all in New York and they can't look past New York. If three snowflakes fall in New York City, you're going to get bigger coverage than if the blizzard takes out Montana because that's where the press is. And that's how the media coverage is shaped. It is New York-centric, but not just New York-centric. It is liberal New York-centric. And because Fox News refuses to play the game and conservatives are watching it and ratings are going up at Fox right now, they're not going to try to compete. Instead, they're just going to try to destroy. And that tells you everything you need to know about why no one trusts the media anymore. Real quick here, uh, I, I you know I haven't I, I haven't done a good job of it this week to tell you that the show is sponsored by Dynamic Money. And, and hearing Chris's ad in there, you know he's not just a guest host uh, and a friend. He actually is my financial advisor. And I really do want to encourage you guys right now, particularly in market turmoil, uh, if you've got questions about your retirement, please do consider reaching out to Dynamic Money. Uh, now, the Dow is rebounding fairly well right now. It's, it's up to it went below 20,000 points the other day. It's now back up 22,000. It's up uh, 1,118 points right now. NASDAQ up 275. S&P 500 up 112 points right now. The New York Stock Exchange itself is up 502 points. The markets are clearly rebounding now because of the stimulus plan. Even though the economic, uh, the jobless claim numbers are are three million plus uh, unemployment uh, claims right now, which is a record, um, breaking the old record of 1982, as a matter of fact. Um, but a lot of you have questions. You're not sure what to do. Uh, you want someone who's going to look at your retirement plan, your portfolio, and not actually shake you down and try to sell you a bunch of nonsense. And that's what Chris's company, Dynamic Money, does. It is a uh, fee-only company. Now, most fee-only financial management companies are designed for the ultra-wealthy. You pay them a lot of money, and they give you frank advice, and they don't try to sell you stuff. Chris's company is very reasonable. Um, If you use Chris directly, I know it's more expensive, but I think it's like $2,500. And they will take you through an entire program of uh, getting you on a budget, helping you with your finances, and looking at everything. Essentially, the way to think of dynamic money is think of them as a primary care physician for your finances. He's gonna, They're going to sit you down. They're going to run all the tests on your finances. And they're going to tell you, okay, you, you have, you're over leveraged, so to speak, in life insurance. You really don't need that much whole life insurance. So let's scale that back. You'll be able to cash out some money. You'll be able to put it over here. You've got so much 
equity in your house. Why don't you go refinance your house? Here are a list of people. They're not going to refinance for you. They'll give you a list of people, or you may know someone, and they'll work with the refinance company and say, we want you to refinance the company and give them a cash out on this amount of money so they can pay off these debts, and you'll be better off. They, they take a whole life approach. They look at your life insurance. They look at your auto insurance. They look at your mortgage. They look at any lines of credit. They look at your 401k. They look at your personal retirement planning and savings, all that. Uh, and you probably need someone to do that for you right now. And so I, one, I, I want to thank Dynamic Money for sponsoring the show. But two, I actually really do use them. They really actually are my financial advising firm. Uh, and they've been great because I know they're not going to try to sell me an annuity or life insurance I don't need. They're just going to give me good advice. They'll give you good advice. Go to dynamicmoney.com as soon as you can. Make an appointment.